Chapter Nineteen, Ivanhoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kristen Lemoyne, GreenKRI.com. Ivanhoe by Sir Walter Scott, Chapter Nineteen. A train of armed men, some noble dame escorting, so their scattered words discovered, as unperceived I hung upon their rear, are close at hand, and mean to pass the night within the castle. Ora, a tragedy. The travellers had now reached the verge of the wooded country, and were about to plunge into its recesses, held dangerous at that time from the number of outlaws whom oppression and poverty had driven to despair, and who occupied the forests in such large bands as could easily bid defiance to the feeble police of the period. From these rovers, however, notwithstanding the lateness of the hour Cedric and Athelstane accounted themselves secure, as they had in attendance ten servants, besides Wamba and Gert, whose aid could not be accounted upon, the one being a jester and the other a captive. It may be added that in travelling thus late through the forest, Cedric and Athelstane relied on their descent and character, as well as their courage. The outlaws whom the severity of the forest laws had reduced to this roving and desperate mode of life were chiefly peasants and yeomen of Saxon descent, and were generally supposed to respect the persons and property of their countrymen. As the travellers journeyed on their way, they were alarmed by repeated cries for assistance, and when they rode up to the place from whence they came, they were surprised to find a horse-litter placed upon the ground, beside which sat a young woman, richly dressed in the Jewish fashion, while an old man, whose yellow cap proclaimed him to belong to the same nation, walked up and down with gestures expressive of the deepest despair, and wrung his hands as if affected by some strange disaster. To the inquiries of Athelstane and Cedric, the old Jew could for some time only answer by invoking the protection of all the patriarchs of the Old Testament, successively against the sons of Ishmael, who were coming to smite them, hip and thigh, with the edge of the sword. When he began to come to himself out of this agony of terror, Isaac of York, for it was our old friend, was at length able to explain that he had hired a bodyguard of six men at Ashby, together with mules for carrying the litter of a sick friend. This party had undertaken to escort him as far as Doncaster. They had come thus far in safety, but, having received information from a woodcutter that there was a strong band of outlaws lying in wait in the woods before them, Isaac's mercenaries had not only taken flight, but had carried off with them the horses which bore the litter, and left the Jew and his daughter without the means either of defence or of retreat, to be plundered and probably murdered by the banditti, who they expected every moment would bring down upon them. "'Would it but please your valours,' added Isaac, in a tone of deep humiliation, "'to permit the poor Jews to travel under your safeguard?' I swear by the tables of our law that never has favour been conferred upon a child of Israel since the days of our captivity, which shall be more gratefully acknowledged. Dog of a Jew! 
said Athelstane, whose memory was of that petty kind which stores up trifles of all kinds, but particularly trifling offences. Dost not remember how thou didst beard us in the gallery at the tilt-yard? Fight or flee, or compound with the outlaws as thou dost list. Ask neither aid nor company from us, and if they rob only such as thee, who rob all the world, I, for mine own share, shall hold them right honest folk. Cedric did not assent to the severe proposal of his companion. "'We shall do better,' said he, "'to leave them two of our attendants and two horses to convey them back to the next village. It will diminish our strength but little, and with your good sword, noble Athelstane, and the aid of those who remain, it will be light work for us to face twenty of those runagates.' Rowena, somewhat alarmed by the mention of outlaws in force, and so near them, strongly seconded the proposal of her guardian. But Rebecca, suddenly quitting her dejected posture, and making her way through the attendants to the palfrey of the Saxon lady, knelt down, and after the oriental fashion in addressing superiors, kissed the hem of Rowena's garment. Then, rising and throwing back her veil, she implored her in the great name of the God whom they both worshipped, and by that revelation of the law upon Mount Sinai, in which they both believed, that she would have compassion upon them, and suffer them to go forward under their safeguard. "'It is not for myself that I pray this favour," said Rebecca, "'nor is it even for that poor old man. I know that to wrong and to spoil our nation is a light fault, if not a merit with the Christians. And what is it to us whether it be done in the city, in the desert, or in the field? But it is in the name of one dear to many, and dear even to you, that I beseech you to let this sick person be transported with care and tenderness under your protection. For if evil chance him, the last moment of your life would be embittered with regret for denying that which I ask of you. The noble and solemn air with which Rebecca made this appeal gave it double weight with the fair Saxon. "'The man is old and feeble,' she said to her guardian, "'the maiden young and beautiful, their friend sick and in peril of his life. Jews though they be, we cannot as Christians leave them in this extremity. Let them unload two of the sumter mules, and put the baggage behind two of the serfs and we have led horses for the old man and his daughter. Cedric readily assented to what she proposed, and Athelstane only added the condition, that they should travel in the rear of the whole party where Wamba, he said, might attend them with his shield of boar's brawn. "'I have left my shield in the tilt-yard,' answered the jester, "'as has been the fate of many a better knight than myself.' Athelstane coloured deeply, for such had been his own fate on the last day of the tournament, while Rowena, who was pleased in the same proportion, as if to make amends for the brutal jest of her unfeeling suitor, requested Rebecca to ride by her side. "'It were not fit I should do so,' answered Rebecca, with proud humility, "'where my society might be held a disgrace to my protectress.' By this time the change of baggage was hastily achieved, for the single word outlaws rendered every one sufficiently alert, and the approach of twilight made the sound yet more impressive. 
Amid the bustle, Gert was taken from horseback, in the course of which removal he prevailed upon the jester to slack the cord with which his arms were bound. It was so negligently refastened, perhaps intentionally, on the part of Wamba, that Gert found no difficulty in freeing his arms altogether from bondage, and then, gliding into the thicket, he made his escape from the party. The bustle had been considerable, and it was some time before Gerth was missed, for as he was to be placed for the rest of the journey behind a servant, every one supposed that some other of his companions had him under his custody, and when it began to be whispered among them that Gerth had actually disappeared, they were under such immediate expectation of an attack from the outlaws that it was not held convenient to pay much attention to the circumstance. The path upon which the party travelled was now so narrow as not to admit with any sort of convenience above two riders abreast, and began to descend into a dingle, traversed by a brook whose banks were broken, swampy, and overgrown with dwarf willows. Cedric and Athelstane, who were at the head of their retinue, saw the risk of being attacked at this pass, but neither of them having had much practice in war, no better mode of preventing the danger occurred to them than that they should hasten through the defile as fast as possible. Advancing, therefore, without much order, they had just crossed the brook with a part of their followers, when they were assailed in front, flank, and rear at once, with an impetuosity to which, in their confused and ill-prepared condition, it was impossible to offer effectual resistance. The shout of, "'A white dragon!' A white dragon! St. George for Merry England! War cries adopted by the assailants, as belonging to their assumed character of Saxon outlaws, was heard on every side, and on every side enemies appeared with a rapidity of advance and attack which seemed to multiply their numbers. Both the Saxon chiefs were made prisoners at the same moment, and each under circumstances expressive of his character. Cedric, the instant that an enemy appeared, launched at him his remaining javelin, which, taking better effect than that which he had hurled at fangs, nailed the man against an oak-tree that happened to be close behind him. Thus far successful, Cedric spurred his horse against a second, drawing his sword at the same time, and striking with such inconsiderate fury that his weapon encountered a thick branch which hung over him, and he was disarmed by the violence of his own blow. He was instantly made prisoner, and pulled from his horse by two or three of the banditti who crowded around him. Athelstane shared his captivity, his bridle having been seized, and he himself forcibly dismounted, long before he could draw his weapon, or assume any posture of effectual defence. The attendants, embarrassed with baggage, surprised and terrified at the fate of their masters, fell an easy prey to the assailants while the Lady Rowena, in the centre of the cavalcade, and the Jew and his daughter in the rear, experienced the same misfortune. Of all the train none escaped except Wamba, who showed upon the occasion much more courage than those who pretended to greater sense. He possessed himself of a sword belonging to one of the domestics, who was just drawing it with a tardy and irresolute hand, laid it about him like a lion, drove back several who approached him, and made a brave, though ineffectual, attempt to succour his master. 
Finding himself overpowered, the jester at length threw himself from his horse, plunged into the thicket, and, favoured by the general confusion, escaped from the scene of action. Yet the valiant jester, as soon as he found himself safe, hesitated more than once whether he should not turn back and share the captivity of a master to whom he was sincerely attached. "'I have heard men talk of the blessings of freedom,' he said to himself, "'but I wish any wise man would teach me what use to make of it now that I have it.' As he pronounced these words aloud, a voice very near him called out in a low and cautious tone, "'Wamba!' and, at the same time, a dog, which he recognized to be Fangs, jumped up and fawned upon him. "'Girth!' answered Wamba, with the same caution, and the swineherd immediately stood before him. "'What is the matter?' said he eagerly. "'What mean these cries, and that clashing of swords?' "'Only a trick of the times,' said Wamba. "'They are all prisoners.' "'Who are prisoners?' exclaimed Gert impatiently. "'My lord, and my lady, and Athelstane, and Hundibert, and Oswald?' "'In the name of God!' said Gert. "'How came they prisoners? And to whom?' "'Our master was too ready to fight,' said the jester, "'and Athelstane was not ready enough, and no other person was ready at all.' and they are prisoners to green cassocks and black visors, and they lie all tumbled about on the green like the crab-apples that you shake down to your swine. And I would laugh at it, said the honest jester, if I could for weeping. And he shed tears of unfeigned sorrow. Gert's countenance kindled. Wamba, he said, thou hast a weapon, and thy heart was ever stronger than thy brain. We are only two, but a sudden attack from men of resolution will do much. Follow me. Whither, and for what purpose? said the jester. To rescue Cedric. But you have renounced his service but now, said Wamba. That, said Gurth, was but while he was fortunate. Follow me. As the jester was about to obey, a third person suddenly made his appearance, and commanded them both to halt. From his dress and arms, Wamba would have conjectured him to be one of those outlaws who had just assailed his master. But besides that he wore no mask, the glittering baldric across his shoulder, with the rich bugle-horn which it supported, as well as the calm and commanding expression of his voice and manner, made him notwithstanding the twilight recognized Loxley the yeoman, who had been victorious under such disadvantageous circumstances in the contest for the prize of archery. "'What is the meaning of all this?' said he. "'Or who is it that rifle and ransom and make prisoners in these forests?' "'You may look at their cassocks close by,' said Wamba, "'and see whether they be thy children's coats or no.' for they are as like thine own as one green peacod is to another. "'I will learn that presently,' answered Locksley, "'and I charge ye, on peril of your lives, not to stir from the place where ye stand, until I have returned. Obey me, and it shall be the better for you and your masters. Yet stay. I must render myself as like these men as possible.' 
So saying, he unbuckled his baldric with the bugle, took a feather from his cap, and gave them to Wamba, then drew a visor from his pouch, and, repeating his charges to them to stand fast, went to execute his purposes of reconnoitering. "'Shall we stand fast, Gert?' said Wamba, "'or shall we e'en give him leg-bail? In my foolish mind he had all the equipage of a thief too much in readiness to be himself a true man.' "'Let him be the devil,' said Gert, "'and he will. We can be no worse of waiting his return.' If he belong to that party, he must already have given them the alarm, and it will avail nothing either to fight or fly. Besides, I have late experience that errant thieves are not the worst men in the world to have to deal with. The yeoman returned in the course of a few minutes. "'Friend Gert,' he said, "'I have mingled among yon men, and have learnt to whom they belong, and whither they are bound.' There is, I think, no chance that they will proceed to any actual violence against their prisoners. For three men to attempt them at this moment were little ease than madness, for they are good men of war, and have, as such, placed sentinels to give the alarm when any one approaches. But I trust soon to gather such a force as may act in defiance of all their precautions. You are both servants, and, as I think, faithful servants, of Cedric the Saxon, the friend of the rights of Englishmen. He shall not want English hands to help him in this extremity. Come then with me, until I gather more aid." So saying, he walked through the wood at a great pace, followed by the jester and the swineherd. It was not consistent with Wamba's humour to travel long in silence. "'I think,' said he, looking at the baldric and bugle which he still carried, that I saw the arrow-shot which won this gay prize, and that not so long since as Christmas. And I, said Gurth, could take it on my halidom, that I have heard the voice of the good yeoman who won it, by night as well as by day, and that the moon is not three days older since I did so. Mine honest friends, replied the yeoman, who or what I am is little to the present purpose. Should I free your master, you will have reason to think me the best friend you ever had in your lives, and whether I am known by one name or another, or whether I can draw a bow as well or better than a cow-keeper, or whether it is my pleasure to walk in sunshine or by moonlight, are matters which, as they do not concern you, so neither need ye busy yourselves respecting them. Our heads are in the lion's mouth, said Wamba in a whisper to Gurth get them out how we can. Hush, be silent, said Gurth. Offend him not by thy folly, and I trust sincerely that all will go well. End of chapter 19